Gareth Bale reminds me of the racehorse Barbaro. What? Because. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what happened to Barbaro? No. Good evening, everyone. Um, my name is Bassam. Uh, I am uh, a bit under the weather, so excuse my voice. I'm here with uh, Matt and Samir for our first uh, podcast uh, titled... Actually, we don't know... What did we title it, guys? <laughs> We're still debating. Real football podcast. Or across into the box. Or if we hear anything from any viewers, you know, by all means, inform us. Uh, no, there was a third uh, one. Uh, the uh, Alexi Lawless fan club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like okay. that. Yeah, And we are actually um, starting this uh, podcast simply because we would like to uh, talk about football in a way that is uh, interesting to football fans, people who care about football, but also addressing the uh, more uh, social and political dimensions and hoping that uh, this combination would uh, attract the interest of people on status. Um, I uh, would like to uh, give the mic to our uh, local encyclopedic uh, uh, knowledge uh, person, Mm -hmm. Matt, uh, to kick off this episode. Thank you for that, Bassam. So this episode, we are covering transfers and how this involves uh, the Middle East, as well as some of the more subtle economic aspects, although it's hard to call a multi-billion dollar industry in any way subtle. The modern transfer system doesn't begin as early as one might think, because although professional football has been around since the 1870s, uh, and the first 100-pound po- um, person to be transferred was Willie Groves way back in 1893. It's really not helpful to discuss that far back. Where the modern transfer really begins is with a player who I'm sure curdles the milk of every trans- every chairman of every big club, every small club, and everyone in between, and that is Jean-Marc Bosman, a fairly unremarkable Belgian player who sued in the 1990s because his old club wouldn't let him leave. Now, this had two major impacts. It led to the invention of what we now call the free transfer, where a player can leave at the end of his contract to anywhere he well pleases or she if it's the women's game um and it also led to the abolishment of what was called colloquially the three foreigner rule up until the mid 90s you could only have three foreign players on your team at the same time on the pitch now you see teams which have seven eight nine foreign starters and that meant that more freedom of movement was allowed, and this naturally opened up the wallets and floodgates. For a while there, they were just a mid-table, below average, kind of like the space that West Ham, no offense to any Hammers fans out there, occupies now. That Um, team that's uh, good enough to excite you. Uh, you're assuming people are listening to this podcast. (laughs) 
It's really just us talking. Now. <laughs> that's how I. No, I mean, okay. that's how I. I if, if, there are, no. if there are West Ham fans out there, please let us know. In fact, if there's a fan out there, if anybody's listening to this podcast and they send yeah. us an email to uh, info at statushour.com, we would be very, very excited. It would make our day. Who are some of the teams, before we get into some of the stats, who are some of the teams that actually have uh, a ton of foreign players? Uh, Arsenal was the first English side to start a bunch of foreign players. I think they had the first all-foreign starting 11 in England. You would also have to look at Real Madrid, Barcelona, um, basically... Manchester City? uh, Manchester City, they're another one. Uh, PSG... Basically, any club that has the financial wherewithal to import top foreign talent does it. Um, Bayern Munich is kind of the outlier because although they do have a fair share of foreigners, they also always have a lot of Germans in their starting 11 as well, making them unique in terms of uh, hegemonic forces in top leagues. All right. So... um... Uh, take us, uh, Matt, before we delve into the more gossipy, uh, fun stuff, uh, take us into some of the stats regarding this particular transfer window. Well, this particular transfer window saw the spending of, and it's still ongoing, it doesn't end till the first week of September, uh, roughly 5 billion euros, which is up from 4.5 billion last summer. Now, where that gets interesting and where that gets juicy for comparison is the top what i will call the top 10 spenders have spent almost one and a half actually a little over one and a half billion of that five billion euros and that's just the top 10 teams uh for instance real madrid has spent uh over 300 million euros this summer whereas if you look back towards the start of the Bossman rulings impact the first full season of impact was 96-97 the top 10 teams combined only spent 262 million euros and now barely 20 years later you have single teams outstripping that entire top 10 so Matt of those teams that are that are spending all that money you mentioned Real Madrid 300 million euros what does that mean for the financial fair play regulations for a team like that? I mean, there's also the situation with Gareth Bale now. I mean, they clearly have to unload him. But I think his contract, the buyout is at a billion euros or something like that, a billion uh, billion dollars or a billion euros. So what are the implications when the, the concentration of spending is in these uh, 10 teams? Well... Real Madrid, and that's just the amount of money they've spent this summer. That doesn't take into account player sales, which is why if you look at some of the data, it looks kind of ridiculous. For example, it doesn't factor in. um, In 2001-2002, for example, Juventus spent 179 million euros, um, which was insane for the time. But what that doesn't take into account is that in order to spend that money, they also sold Zinedine Zidane for 77.5 million euros. 
So mm-hmm. when you when you spend money, you're right. You do have to make money somewhere else. Uh, Real Madrid is such a big club. I think they're worth somewhere north of, and this is through Forbes magazine, somewhere north of four billion euros. So I'm sure Florentino Perez is cooking the books somehow to make sure they're not violating FFP, even if they don't sell bail. Well, what's it? Go ahead, go ahead, Summer. No, as um, you know, on the question of ownership structure, like Real Madrid was in debt, in severe debt, hundreds of millions of euros in debt, not too long ago, within the last decade, and now. Um, you know, a lot of their spending used to be debt driven. Is that still, I think that's still the case with a lot of these teams, isn't it? Well, you can't go but so far into debt um, because of FFP rules, which you yeah. already alluded to. Now you don't see situations like you did with Leeds in 2004, or, and you might have noticed this from uh, the data we compiled. Uh, Fiorentina used to be a regular in the top 10 spenders, and then they kind of dropped off. That's because Florent- Fiorentina went bust. They went broke and they had to start back in the fourth division of Italian football because of their financial irregularities. Now there are regulations that are there to prevent clubs from hurting themselves, but some would also argue that it also prevents clubs from really helping themselves because you can only spend what you earn. And there's no way, no how, that a club like Eeny, Meeny, Miny, Mo. Tottenham Hotspur are going to earn as much money as Real Madrid. It's just not going to happen. Or even further down the food chain, there's no way a club like Newcastle United is going to earn the kind of money to compete with Real Madrid just through their club. You're going to need outside investment, which they just don't have, which is where the Middle Eastern ownership gets interesting. Because in Manchester City actually got in trouble for this. In order to balance their books, they artificially inflated the worth of their sponsorship deal, which is through the UAE's, um, I want to say the UAE's airline. Um, they artificially inflated that worth so they could spend more money in the transfer window. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. And, and and what is the controversy with uh, Manchester City in terms of their violation of some of the codes? Well, they're actually facing, if UEFA gets their way, a ban from the Champions League for the 2020-2021 season if UEFA gets their way due to their financial irregularities. The controversy arises for Manchester City and for to a lesser extent because they don't actually do anything in Europe, PSG, because these are clubs that are not owned by individual uber-rich people. They're not like Chelsea who are owned by one very rich man in Roman Abramovich. They are owned by countries. The state of Qatar owns Paris Saint-Germain. The states of the UAE own Manchester City, and they can, and they have found ways through their sponsorship deals, pump money into their clubs indefinitely. Oh, wow. Um, well, uh, take but, us. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. They are not the sole culprits, though. They are not unique in this regard. Yes, they are unique in that they are state entities instead of individuals. But if you want to talk about 
insane amounts of money being pumped into a club forever, you would have to, well, not forever, but you would have to mention Roman Abramovich's Chelsea, which up until he bought them, they were a nice team. They would make an FA Cup run every now and again. But under Roman Abramovich, they have won one, two, three, four, five leagues in 20 years. Whereas before Roman Abramovich got there, Chelsea's one league title was in 1955. Wow. And it, you know, it's funny is, you know, people say that Manchester City has no history. That's not true. Manchester City won league titles in the 30s and the 60s. They actually hold the dubious distinction of the only team in the English top flight to win the title one year and then be relegated the next. <laughs> but, um, you know, Matt, that's a really interesting point about the about the owners. Right. So if you look at any team that's in any sort of financial trouble or is like stuck on the field, you know, there's always this assumption that there will be like like a savior that will come in and not just purchase the team way beyond its valuation, but will pump money into it to kind of restore it. And and that's sort of what happened to Manchester City, isn't it? Or at least that's the narrative about it. Well, it is because if up until 19, until 1999, Manchester City were a joke in the top flight yeah. after they won their last title in 68, they were all the way in the English third tier. Yeah, exactly. When yeah. they got a lucky break and got back promoted to what is now called the, the EFL Championship. And they were, for a while there, they were just a mid-table, below average, kind of like the space that West Ham, no offense to any Hammers fans out there, occupies now. That team that's um, kind, um, good Matt, enough to excite Matt, you. You're, uh, you're assuming people are listening to this podcast it's really just us talking, Matt. <laughs> that's how I... Hey, that's um, how I... I if, if, there that are, if there no. are West Ham fans out there, please let us know. In no, fact, if there's a fan out there, let us know. If anybody is listening to this podcast yeah. and they send us an email to uh, info at statushour.com, we would be very, very excited. It would make our day. Go ahead, I, Matt. Sorry, man. Just that's how I'm talking and figured that was appropriate. <laughs> um, but Manchester City really weren't that good until they got the massive influx of money, which that's not that's not to denigrate Manchester City in any way, because, you know, they're hardly the only team spending hundreds of millions. Yeah. Barcelona, who we all like to hype up as having La Masia with all this academy players, they're spending 300, they're spending 250, 300 million uh, euros a transfer window too. They just blew $140 million on a, 140 million euros, excuse me, on a player they didn't even use in the right position who ended up being an utter flop. Yeah, yeah. And you know, when I grew up in the um, uh, 70s and 80s, like, you know, there was no mention of Manchester City. It was Liverpool, Chelsea, mm -hmm. Aston Villa, whatever, whatever happened to those guys. Um, and, uh, you know, Manchester United, perhaps. And uh, yeah, Manchester City is a new development, uh, like new, relatively speaking. Yes, they are. And um, another club that needs to be mentioned when it comes to the finances is Manchester United. We cannot pretend that 
all those years under Fergie, they weren't spending major cash. You know, every window they were bringing in somebody good, bad or indifferent. They brought in Roy Keane for a good chunk of cash. They brought in Rio Ferdinand for what was then, I believe, a British record, 30 million euros. They brought in Nemanja Vidic, another big money acquisition. They brought a an unknown teenager in Cristiano Ronaldo for, I believe, a good chunk of change as well. Um, so you have to look at Manchester United as one of the drivers of the inflation of the transfer market, along with Real Madrid, along with the modern Manchester City, because for so many years they were the best team in England and one of the best in the world. So everyone wanted, everyone who was world-class wanted to play there, so they naturally got a bigger checkbook. Yeah. Um, can uh, can we talk a little bit, guys, uh, about something that that's probably on everybody's mind uh, every now and then, which is what did this uh, influx uh, of tons of cash and capital do to football? I mean, uh, some say it hasn't had much of an effect and uh, all the hype we hear about today is something that is a function of social media and the fact that everybody knows everything about everything. But what did it actually do to the players? I mean, I, I cannot but help... Uh, I mean, I cannot help but see... See, I can't talk. I'm so sick. I cannot help but see how Neymar, for instance, could have been a different player if he existed in the 80s and 90s or even before. He would have played at Santos for another 10 years because the Brazilian government probably wouldn't have let him leave. Yeah, but, uh, but you know what I mean? I mean, even if he yeah. came to Europe and he, and he succeeded, I mean, would, would uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating here about whether whether this uh, astronom astronomical, astronomical amount of money is actually affecting not the talent, the talent is there, but the consistency, the attitude, and, and ultimately the performance of well, people like Neymar. Well, I certainly think that being the world's most expensive player has gone to his head a little bit. If you look at, you know, the way he lashed out at the VAR refs for a correctly called handball when PSG got knocked out by Manchester United, I certainly think that it has given him a sort of notoriety. And, you know, to be fair to Neymar, he is playing really well in the French League. It's just not translating to what PSG's owners from Qatar want, which is old big ears. They want the Champions League. The biggest impact, though, of all this money is not on players like Neymar, despite all the social media pressure on them. It's on the little clubs. Just yesterday, actually, a team called Bury FC went out of yeah. business. They liquidated. They're gone after 130-some-odd years, after winning yeah. the most lopsided FA Cup ever in 1903. Um, which was matched by Manchester City against Watford last spring. Um, they're gone, you know, and these teams, Bolton actually was bought out by a consortium today after it looked like they would go bust as well. So it's not the big players, despite their huge now wages and their huge fees that are the most impacted, nor is it the agents who are eating like a fat kid at an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's the little clubs. <laughs> So Matt, I mean that's a 
you know, the the question of ownership structure, I think, is really interesting because for me, you know, as a hockey fan, there's a lot of parity in terms of, you know, the teams. And then when you look at European football, I mean, there's a real hierarchy there. But what does, I mean, all this money that's floating around, what has it meant for for the players, not just Neymar or whatever, but, you know, the kind of second-tier players in terms of their ability to make moves, you know, their ability to drive moves. I mean, when you see these players that, you know, they're the richest I mean, you said, you know, Neymar is the richest transfer in the world. He goes there for a year. It's not really clear what happens. You know, he's unhappy. They're unhappy, whatever it is. Um, and then there's just this kind of stalling and, and it's not clear. And you hear every day, well, tonight there's going to be an announcement. There's a transfer. There's players. There's money. There's whatever. Uh, I mean, is that, a, is that ultimately a good thing for the players? Uh, I mean, um, uh, it certainly... We, we probably have to edit out uh, the part about you saying uh, you hockey? being a, a hockey fan, yeah. Why? I can't. Uh, it's where I, uh, it's how I approach everything, unfortunately. Well, the parody comment <laughs> is actually really helpful because yeah. it's very interesting <laughs> that... Matt, Matt, we're just trying to screw around and you always bring us back to that. <laughs> Yeah, really, I know nothing about football. I thought we were going to talk about hockey later on. <laughs> Funny. Uh, okay. I am sorry. I have the sense of humor of a wet sponge. No, no, no. So, what? I mean, the parody. So, yeah, go on about the parody question. And I, well, won't, I won't talk about hockey anymore. Well, In American sports, and it's funny because America is a very hyper-capitalistic country, we're all about that up-by-the-bootstraps nonsense. But if you look at our sports leagues, they're inherently socialist. The worst players get access to the best young talent in through the draft. In Europe, which is you know notorious for the welfare state, if you look at European politics, the free market is god-king in European football. It just is mm. as a as an interesting contrast to the society in which it exists. And I think that might be some of the appeal. So has has that been beneficial ultimately to the players in terms of being able to drive drive moves? You know, not just Neymar, but, you know, the other uh, again, tier two players, tier three players, whatever it is. Uh, and I mean, obviously, there's a there's a kind of financial security that's come with all this spending for the players. But in terms of, you know, what their, um, you know, their ability to kind of, uh, you know, this thing with uh, Osman uh, Dembil, I think uh, is his name, you know, yeah. where his agent is coming out and saying, you know, he's not leaving Barcelona. Like there are no circumstances under which he's leaving Barcelona. And, and we're talking about him being packaged as part of this massive deal. You know, what is it like? between 110 or 150 million euros that would go for like, you know, Neymar would get uh, sent back to Barcelona for that much money plus one or possibly two players. Like, um, you know, what does that mean for a player like Dembele or the others that are, um, you know, linked with the move to be able to say, look, you know, we don't we don't want to go. We uh, we want to exercise some power here in terms of where we play. And it doesn't matter what Neymar wants. Like, we don't want to leave. Well, player power is at an all time high, if you look at it, because of things like the Bosman ruling. Contracts mm. don't mean anything anymore. Virgil van Dyke had a five year extension at Southampton 
Yeah. And he was gone in January. Coutinho mm-hmm. had a five-year deal. Gone in January. Yeah. You know, their contracts don't mean anything. It's not worth the ink that they're printed on because players and agents have so much power. If a player wants to leave, usually the club pretty much just has to let them go. You see that time and time again. You see that with the Van Dyke Coutinho. Mm-hmm. Um, now where it gets weird is when you get this, just this insane amount of money, there's no way PSG is actually going to sell Neymar for what he's worth, which is way less than what they paid for him. There's no way that a player who doesn't want to leave is going to leave unless the club manages to pull a magic bean out of their hat. You know, I saw today that Alexis Sanchez is finally leaving Manchester United on loan to go to Inter. Mm. Manchester United are still liable for 60% of his wages, and he makes half a million pounds a week. Well, isn't that what's going to happen to Bale? I mean, they're going to have to cover a lot of... I don't think... You don't think what, sorry? I don't think Gareth Bale's leaving. His agent is determined on that. And that's another group of people who, for all the research I did, I really didn't get into agents, mostly because sports agents, that's a topic that's that's too radioactive even for me. And I've researched Chernobyl. <laughs> Mino Raiola, the agent for, I believe, Ronaldo, Zlatan, and quite a few other very high-profile players, is arguably the most powerful man in the game, not named Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I, I only know stuff about hockey agents. Oh. Sorry. Uh, I couldn't uh, tell you one hockey agent. I just know that my team, the Oilers, are terrible. <laughs> um, okay, so now that we have descended into hockey and the Oilers, let's... Uh, <laughs> Let's, hey, we can talk about oil and transition that way. No, you know what I'd love to talk about is is one of the things that, uh, uh, besides all the uh, you know all the basic um, uh, politics and 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 capital related issues, uh, let's go to the more gossipy part of uh, of our show, which is mm. which is what, you know perhaps the the more exciting one um and and uh we can go back of course and address all sorts of uh issues related to to the politics of it but but uh, can we start with this uh with, with this discussion about what the hell is happening to real madrid although i'm not a fan they're trying to do a youth movement and it's going to be painful and florentino perez tried getting rid of zidane once to do it his way and he it fell flat on his face, you know, third in La Liga, round of 16 exit to a bunch of kids from Ajax. Um, hey, so yeah, yeah. they're, they're going to do this. <laughs> I own Ajax merchandise. I like Ajax. It doesn't I, change the fact that they're 18, 19-year-old kids kicking Real Madrid's butt. Yeah, I mean, I worship Ajax from the Cruyff times in, in, in the early 70s when I opened my eyes, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, but 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 isn't isn't uh, the opposite also not something that that will necessarily work? I mean, I mean, uh, what what is happening right now? I'm I'm afraid that this whole 
uh, reshuffling that uh, Zidane is doing is not changing the attitude of players. It might be, I mean, it, it, I mean, they might they might be less, uh, um, perhaps less inconsistent. But it's really, I mean, the attitude of the players. What it comes down to is the attitude of the players. Every time you watch Real Madrid, unless they're winning. Uh, they have the talent. They have the players. They have the um, uh, the names, uh, the legacy. But it's almost like they don't. Uh, they they're not motivated. I mean, this is every time you see them play. It's 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 like they need to drink coffee. It's or fantastic for memes. Yeah. Um, well, the issue with Real Madrid is, and they still haven't addressed this. I don't care how much young talent they bring in. They're still looking to replace a 50-goal-a-year scorer in Cristiano Ronaldo. And Ronaldo is arguably one of the two most irreplaceable players on planet Earth at this moment in time. They need goals. And Ronaldo, love him, hate him, want to wear his uh, own brand of jeans, is the best pure goal scorer in football. And I didn't yeah, say best beyond, player. I said best goal scorer. <laughs> yeah, but beyond the goals, it's, I mean, they've had how many managers since he left? You know, since, like, there's a lot of turmoil there, and the team just doesn't, you know, that's doesn't, Florentino I mean, Paris. it's, com- of course, it's competitive, but, you know, it, it has a bit of a, I don't know, like an identity crisis, maybe. Well, that's Florentino Perez's management style. He's been this way since he poached Louis Figo from Barcelona in 2000. That's just that's I think this is this is the Florentino Perez show. And for for Blanco's fans out there, they're just going to have to buckle in and buy some popcorn (laughs) because he's not going anywhere. And the club will continue to be run like organized chaos or disorganized chaos, if you will until he either leaves or they decide this is the plan and we're going to stick to it. They're either going to have to develop youth or they're going to have to try and throw around money like it's going out of style again. And either way, Barcelona is going to win La Liga and they're going to crash out in the Champions League because Ernesto Valverde is a terrible manager. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> he plays a 4-4-2 with Lionel Messi. What are you doing? He's not playing a 4-4-2 now. Oh, he's moved to a stagnant 4-3-3 that moves around like the pond water in my backyard? <laughs> what do you want him to do? Um, number one, realize that Antoine Griezmann is not a winger, which that transfer is another mess because Atletico Madrid are suing over it because they're alleging improper conduct on the part of Barcelona and that they are owed, instead of 120 million euros, they're owed 200 million. But, so that's going to be interesting. But he played Griezmann, uh, you know, as as a center forward, not a winger. I saw him play him as a winger in the preseason, and that's what I was basing that off of. No, no, no. He's, he's. I mean, uh, he was in the center, and he scored two goals uh, in the last game. He was fine. <laughs> They're also going to need a long-term replacement for Luis Suarez because, yes, Griezmann is a fine player, but Griezmann is no spring chicken. He's 28. And Luis Suarez, and this is something that has always been underrated in Luis Suarez's game, 
is a fantastic defensive striker when he doesn't have the ball or when Barcelona doesn't have the ball. His defensive work rate is the best in the world for a striker, bar none. Luis Juarez? Yeah, he's the best defensive striker on the planet. Watch Luis Suarez off the ball. Watch him try and get possession back for his team. And you're going to come away with two impressions. Number one, this man is certifiably insane. Number two, this man really <laughs> wants the ball. <laughs> uh, okay, well, going back to Madrid before we move to, to another topic. So uh, do you think that uh, the uh, coming months will uh, reveal like some sort of a magic plan or formula uh, by Zidane that will transform Real Madrid? Or do you think this is going to be just a lackluster season? I think Zinedine Zidane has earned the benefit of the doubt as a manager. But I would be lying to you if I didn't say I want Real Madrid to finish eighth and for La Marca to be calling for his head by November. Okay. Well, that, that, I was not expecting that that response, but I mean, I think he has earned that benefit of the doubt. I think he can integrate the youth. Um, I think he's probably going to end up buying Christian Eriksen from Spurs because mm. Pogba's not leaving United before the end of the deadline. Um, but. But, but, yeah, there's, but there's no shortage of talent, right? I mean, if you look at what they have now, Bale, James, uh, uh, Vinicius, uh, Benzema, Hazard, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, they have, uh, I understand that uh, not, not a lot of the other players are, are performing the way they should, especially Carvajal, but, you know, they do have a, a very strong lineup. It's, uh, I mean, I... I, I mean, I like Zidane, but I don't know. I mean, is it is it the way the club is managed, uh, or is it that they're exhausted from winning Champions League after Champions League and and so on? I don't know. I think the fatigue part is probably part to do with it because they've also had to participate in the Club World Cup, which is a joke of a tournament. It's too much. That's too much for their legs. And Gareth Bale, Gareth Bale reminds me of the racehorse Barbaro. Uh, what? What? Because <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what happened to Barbaro? No. Oh, no, we don't. <laughs> I don't think anybody does it except the owner of the horse. Look. Barbaro. If there are any West Ham or Real Madrid fans who know Barbaro is, I think that's our that's our audience at this point. Okay, Barbaro is a racehorse that won the Kentucky Derby, and then in the Preakness Snakes, he snapped his leg and was never the same. Oh, good. Bale's God. legs are yeah. shot. I am convinced my hamstrings are in better shape than Gareth Bale's, and I've got arthritic legs. <laughs> yeah. He makes 600,000 euros a week. And he's going to go 600, play. 600,000 pounds a week, sorry. He's going to go play golf because Zidane's not going to want anything to do with him after his agent runs his mouth again. Okay. Well, because if there's one man in football I don't think puts up with any BS, it's Zidane. He'll headbutt bail. And I just hope that someone has their phone running so we can see it on Twitter. <laughs> well, okay. So let's move quickly to another. Um, Uh, really gossipy and uh, perhaps uh, a topic that everybody everyone is sick of 
and that is uh, what the hell is happening with uh, the potential Neymar move? Is the delay just a function of wanting to raise uh, the price or or to sort of play off uh, Barcelona against Real Madrid, which I never really bought into because it it seems like more of a Barcelona move. Is 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 it is it? Are we just waiting for the last minute to find out, or 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 are there? I think. I think Neymar is not going to leave because they're demanding too much money. And I saw today the move that Barcelona proposed today was a hundred million plus Usman Dembele plus um, uh, Ivan. Uh, not Ivan? Rak- not Rakitic. Um, no, Bakl- it was. I think it was. No, Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. Nelson Tomato. Yeah. Um, yeah. PSG rejected that. I don't think he's moving. I think Neymar is going to assume the uncoveted role of football's jilted lover. Hmm. Well, I don't know. PSG would lose more by selling Neymar back to Barcelona than is worth. And I'm not talking about football. They'll win Liga, no problem. It's the idea that we're going to splash out the cash and more than double the world record transfer fee to acquire this talismanic talent only to sell him back two years later. I mean, that that would be a huge PR blow, I think, for the PSG brand. And it would show that the Qatari ownership group, QSI, Qatar Sports Investment, is not serious about winning Champions League. And it would just they would just end up with a bunch of egg on their face. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just I, think I just think that uh, there is a serious intent on part of Barcelona and they're just playing the waiting game or there's something that we don't know, but but there is a serious intent. It, there's something going on with him too, you know. I mean, there's the invested the investigation into the sexual assault, and then he didn't play. He didn't play this summer, and there wasn't there a mysterious injury that wasn't really an injury, and then all this stuff going on now. I don't know. I I, I think he his time there is feels tainted to me. You know, I, mean, I think that they, I, I, I think that it's pl- plausible they walk away. I mean, I, I agree that they'll have egg on their face. That's a great way to put it. But I don't know. I think, I think there's a possibility that, I mean, it's either that or, I don't know. You hear like it's daily that you hear a deal is imminent, and then you hear daily that the the number, the money number has been settled. It's a, it's about whether the players go permanently or on loan and who's going and who's not. Um, so I don't know. I mean, either people are sitting around beyond their, behind their keyboards, bored, making this stuff up, or there is actual like momentum around the, around the transfer. I mean, yeah. this is the fake news era, so it could very well just be bored people on their keyboards. <gasps> but, but you know, it's, possibly, it's, yeah. The, the the turning down of the uh, deal today by um, by PSG reveals that they are willing to sell him, uh, and yeah. and the yeah. and the and the increase of you know the hundred million plus. Uh, Osman Dembele and and the potential Semedo addition it, it reveals that Barcelona is is uh, bargaining is willing to pay 
and I don't see. I mean, it's it's like having a divorce with Neymar staying. At, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I just cut out for a second there. I'm sorry. With Neymar coming in, I cannot. It's, it's, sorry, staying at uh, PSG. It's like having somebody uh, who's divorced uh, and and not good terms with the, their partner and staying at home for another year. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, did you hear the earlier part where uh, where I, I addressed how PSG is turning down the offer, meaning that they are willing to get another offer and and Barcelona yeah, keeps um, I increasing. did hear that yeah. part. Mm. So. Uh, just, I really think that PSG, because Neymar is so expensive, are in the unique position where they don't have to let him go. I just, because Neymar, if he doesn't get the move this summer, he will be one year older. He will probably break his foot again. Um, you don't break the same foot twice and not break it a third time. Um, just... I think Neymar's only option is probably going to be to run his contract down and then leave on a free, which that would really, really set the tone for the PSG project as a failure. Which, and what's really odd about PSG is that they're willing to splash out all this money on players and not one of them is a decent center back. Your best two center backs are Prisnel Kimpembe and 34-year-old Thiago Silva. No wonder you can't win in Europe. You're going to get exposed at the back by one ball. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, unless somebody wants to say one more thing about this topic, um, can can we just close with just a very small thing uh, about, uh, you, you know, Juve? How come they haven't played uh, Delit yet? Is it because the manager was sick or something? And the person who substituted felt that they didn't want to take chances, given that he does have two strong and established center midfielders. Did you hear about this? Um, I didn't, but it. I thought Delit was a center back. Yeah. Or is it? Is it De Jong who's the center back? No, no. I mean, uh, Delit wasn't actually uh, selected to play. No, he's he's actually he's actually uh, center back. Yeah, um, I honestly think because it it was even though he's had a month to train with them, I think it could be a, just a, you know, he is still only what nineteen twenty. I think it could just be nineteen a, an adjustment 19. period. Yeah, but they spent so much money on him and they fought for him, and then I I just found this to be odd. I think it might have something to do with not wanting to piss off the Italian, uh, the two, uh, the duo center backs. Oh, Chiellini and uh, Benucci. Yeah. Um, I that could be it, but also, um, Juve's played who? Who were they playing? Were they playing AC Milan? Were they playing Inter? Were they playing Parma? Were they playing Roma? Or were they playing FC Lasagna or something? <laughs> Is that uh, in this climate, Matt? I think we could be sued for this. <laughs> Probably. I just yeah. couldn't think of a bad Italian team. I'm sorry. Did you hear? Did you hear how the uh, uh, the Walmart uh, executive got in trouble? Actually, he did make a worse comment. But yeah, I think I think we have to be a little careful. Uh, I, I had a lot of jokes uh, earlier, uh, and I thought maybe I shouldn't share them. Um, 
Yeah, it's horrible. Uh, but I think it's fine to say lasagna. No, I think lasagna is okay. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It is an actual Italian word, and there is a team called, um, you know, I know this team played Inter Milan, which is why I didn't choose them, Lecce. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> they're favored to finish at the bottom of the table. But, you know, just I think the quality of opponent should be taken into account. Because apparently Dybala is getting playing time, which confused me because he's... It's Dybala. Dybala, excuse me. Um, He's kind of the forgotten man in the Juve front because, you know... Well, they're also trying trying to to not get rid of him, but he's, he's, he's on the market. Yeah, it's... Juve also has the advantage of knowing that they're going to win Serie A unless Ronaldo, Mandzukic, Dybala, Chiellini, Bonucci, uh, Alexandro, um, Wojciech Szczesny, and Gianluigi Buffon all break their legs. Like, they're going to win that league by at least 15 points. Okay, well... Well, so, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, even, even, yeah, uh, I mean, Juventus is is like uh, Juventus and PSG. I mean, it's it's kind of sad that that it's not as competitive. Although Juventus does have some some competition. The reason I brought up Dilit is that I really, really wanted him to play with Young at uh, uh, Barcelona, and it didn't work. And now he, they're not playing him. Um, but I think he will end up at Barcelona. Okay, is there anything uh, else other than this that's gossip-wise? We're um, we're trying to keep this a bit short-ish. Um, so, I mean, we could talk forever and uh, uh, and enjoy ourselves, but I think, uh, should we uh, call it a day? And I think so. Kind of, I yeah. think so yeah. as well. Yeah, okay. We'll, okay. we'll have a lot to talk about after September 2nd, too, after the transfer. Yep. Yeah. Okay. After closest. Well, uh, and if and if Neymar does transfer from PSG, I will be posting memes to our chat our chat about it. Should we make this a uh, two-week podcast? Is this pretty smooth, or should we should we stick with one month as we decided? I mean, I would be totally fine doing this more often. I love doing this kind of research. You know, some people go to church. I do football. <laughs> You know, you sound like George. You sound like George Bush. There must be another category. <laughs> Great. You, you, hey, you at least I church. can open a door. Uh, so, uh, Samer, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think the more the better, and okay. we can we can keep them shorter than. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, find we'll have more people coming in and out and everything, and yeah, I think this will be fun. Uh, do you think we're gonna get killed because it's all guys? I mean, I. Uh... Yes, but I mean, we'll, we're gonna rotate. There are a lot of people that are interested in this. That, you know, it's that'll not be... like we've said anything horrible, except for my Barbaro joke. <laughs> and the lasagna joke. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah. And uh, uh, hockey, man. No more hockey. Uh, hockey. <laughs> Okay, no at, more least, at least you did not say baseball. I would have just like hit stop and would have... <laughs> oh, okay. dear. No, no. Since my mother d- left my father, he's done nothing but watch baseball. I never uh, want to see that game Matt, again. Matt, you know, th- the show is not over, so I'm hoping that you're okay with this being <laughs>
Okay, guys, I think we should stop. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. You all have a good night. You too, man. Take care.